Hello and, and welcome to today's session focusing in on information security. Uh, with me today I have Brian, Nico, Keith and Alejandro. Um, and we're going to be talking about um, the, C the role of the CISO and the role of the Chief Risk Officer and whether the two things are entirely separate or, or how they work together. Um, but I thought it would also be useful just to start with a couple of kind of int introduction questions. Um, and the first one is really around budgets. So um, talking to uh, a journalist friend of mine who'd been doing some research on this, um, his suggestion was that security is the place to be currently, um, as it's the only part of the business that seems to be having a lot of money thrown at it. And I wondered if that was the same experience, um, that you, the same thing that you guys were seeing or not. Uh, so, Brian, should we should we start with you? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, we were we were embarking on a particular project anyway at Channel Four, and then COVID happened, and I was I was quite surprised, um, pleasantly surprised at the fact that the business still wanted to move ahead with that project. So we're still having that funding, and you're right. You know, times are particularly difficult, and we are seeing a lot of the areas where they're they're being squeezed. Um, and sort of asked to reassess what they were originally planning for 2020 and 2021. Um, but with regards to information security, we seem to be, you know, very well, very well supported, I think is, is the easiest way to put it. I, I would say we, we don't have uh, uh, huge amounts of money, but evidently much more money than we had five years ago. So uh, uh, executive level, C-level awareness has increased quite a lot. And I would say that uh, we still need to, to be uh, um, very careful about how we, we spend our budget, but definitely it's, it's taking a place in the board and the discussion around budget needed to do security right is definitely there, which is helping quite a lot. They're, they're not wasting money, okay? And, and that makes sense. Uh, but uh, it, it's definitely in the in the sea level discussions, and that's good in order to to make a priority for it. It's clearly a priority for for the board. And, and as a supplier, Nico, how are you, how are you seeing seeing that issue of budgets? I, I think you know budget budgets haven't gone away. Clearly, I mean uh, that was a, I would say a pleasant surprise, you know, because people really didn't know in Q two how Q three and Q four would look like. Uh, but what we've seen from the buying centers is that budget have shifted, right? You know, they were you know, in the early days of, of the lockdowns, you know, more into kind of desktop, laptop type assets, connectivity. And now we see them more directed to data protection, right? So infrastructure security or infrastructure was kind of dealt with in the last six months. And now we see more projects around, you know, data and information protection happening. Okay, interesting. And what about your perspective, Keith? Obviously, you've got juggling budgets for a number of different departments the leadership is has be, become more conscious of security especially in the current environment um mm -hmm. and there's uh, because of the footprint has changed of how we do business and how our how our, our users and our customers are doing business with us um so there's been an emphasis put on security both physical and digitally so the budgets have been readjusted mm -hmm. to meet that need because we have we have to show that we're conscious, and we are we are addressing the security needs of both our internal users and our external mm. users, i.e., our customers. And Nico, question question for you: um, As we sort of 
in terms of who you're dealing with within organisations, um, are you finding that the CISO is very much aligned with IT and is part of IT and, and part of that stakeholder group? Or are, is the security tending to sit in different places within different businesses? I think it's getting better, you know, and it got better, you know, in recent years. And I think, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the lockdown depending make was kind of a forcing function where, you know, everybody had to work together as one team, the CISO, the CIO, the risk officer, the data protection officer, right? But it's, it's still some organizations being treated as different buying centers. You know, there's still a little bit of this kind of fragmentation happening. I wouldn't call it silos because I think there's less silos than before, but still, you know, people look at it through their own lens and don't sometimes get the end-to-end -end view of like, we're doing this type of projects as a business outcome and not as a tactical, you know, security fix. But it's clearly changing for the good, you know, and, you know, the same way, you know, people used to have, you know, HR business partners. I think, you know, security is also being seen as a business partner delivering, you know, uh, business outcomes. And that has changed, you know, radically, I would say this year across the board, not just like, you know, in our region here, but like globally. And are you finding that more people at the, with the CISO title are sitting on boards within organisations or have that kind of board level access? Or are they generally reporting up through an, an, another layer? I think it depends. I don't think, you know, that many CISO sits on boards, you know, unless the company has been maybe sort of breach already or, you know, is in a sensitive type, you know, operating environment. But there's much more visibility at sea level. The CISO at sea level, they have a stake at the table, clearly. In some organizations, they're still sometimes hidden, so to speak, you know, below the CIO, below a CTO, right? And some sort of dotted lines. But you can see them moving up. You know, they had much more visibility and support from the business. And they're being asked questions about like, how do you manage risk, you know, as part of the business outcomes and so on. So they're slowly bubbling up, you know, to uh, where they need to be and where they should be. It used to be a really big thing that people would talk about, you know, CISO should be at the board and, and so on. And I don't, I don't necessarily agree. I don't think it matters where you are so long as you can be effective and that the people that you're reporting to are supportive of what you're trying to do. Um, mm. It's an interesting point about the silos, and I and I love the um, comparison to the HR business partners. I think you're absolutely right. I think sometimes I find it difficult because we 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 touch across every single department. Um, it's it can be quite difficult sometimes to get the message across within those silos for each of those areas that are working. And you sort of travel along, and you get to you get to go into all of the shops and see what's going on, but you can't necessarily take something out of one of the shops and put it into one of the others, uh, as it were. So it's, it's, yeah, it's very comparable. I fully agree with what uh, Nico and Brian said uh, just just now. I think, I think segregation of responsibilities is a good thing. But I, I definitely support the, the point on becoming a business partner from security. And that's the only way to go. Uh, as we were talking behind the scenes before, um, it's important that the, the, the information security officer uh, actually knows, understand very, very well uh, what the, the business is about and has a very, very tight uh, relationship with every, every other VP. Uh, uh, in, in the business so that he, he can actually serve in a 99% of the cases where the, the, some security needs to be embedded into the process uh, uh, they need to, to work as one single team and the corresponding VP in that area and the, and the CISO but there might still be 1% where there is a conflict of interest because uh, there is a limited budget there is time to market there is something else and for those cases, it's important that there is 
a certain uh, uh, separate reporting into into the board. Uh, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say there needs to be a CISO sitting in the board uh, uh, herself, but uh, there should be uh, at least a CEO minus two for the security uh, chief security officer in the company. Otherwise, it it might uh, limit quite quite a lot what what he or she is doing on that respect. Uh, Keith, obviously, you're in in a situation which I think many people will, will be in, where there isn't necessarily yet that separation between the security and the IT. Does that create, um, as you, you alluded to before, a kind of conflict of interest within your own head sometimes? You have a responsibility to deliver, but then there's, there's a conflict of are you mm. delivering correctly? And you have to be uh, monitored and judged and you're monitoring and judging yourself. So you'll have automatically have that conflict. So there should be a separation of the judgment. And that's when, when, you're, man- when you're managing the risk, you're managing mm. yourself and it, should that be separated? And that's always the, the question where the CISO, sorry, I'm even contradicting myself when I'm talking possibly, but that's where the CISO being separate is, is, mm. is independent and that independence could possibly be lacking. But I think the, the ultimate is always that if, if security at the top level, because the board are the ultimately responsible for security within the business, and that's where the responsibility lies. And once it is being considered and, and, and addressed at board level, you, you do sort of have some buy-in and you will get some sort of uh, traction within the business on security. We, we have it right the way down through the business and training where everybody is a security officer in the business. So when we give somebody access to something like email, they, are, they, they, they don't become a sort of a risk point. They actually become a gatekeeper mm. to the business. And that's how we train them up. And then everybody that has uh, privileged access in the systems actually are trained at a security level higher to become a sort of security officer within that specialist area, be it a Cisco engineer or a, uh, a an Azure uh, specialist. Um, and then we manage the risk then on top of that. And then we have a risk register that we would manage uh, uh, with a lot of focus on the risk register. So it, it's, it's maybe a slightly different model, maybe based on our size, but it seems mm. to work. Yes, we do lack that independence, but that's where a little bit of outsourcing comes in and a little bit of specialist is brought in. So I don't know if it's the same but different. Okay, interesting. And, and obviously one of the topics for, for conversation in this, this panel is that kind of the step up from the CISO and the, the role of the CISO and the chief risk officer. Um, it'd be interesting to know how many of you work with a chief risk officer or whether there, there is one within the organisation. Um, going back to you, Alejandro. Do you, do you work closely with the chief risk officer? Are they comparable? Are they a level above you? How, how does that work? That's um, hierarchically, uh, we are the same level. Organically, I report to uh, the execution uh, uh, management and they report directly into the board. I, I report into the XCOM and, 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 and the, the other guy reports into the board above all the XCOM. So, it's uh, another way of, of making that separation we were talking before. Uh, that guy owns the whole risk framework and mm-hmm. I have the delegation of the security risks 
uh, within that framework. So it's it's a way, as as Keith uh, was saying before, uh, everyone in that sense is a chief risk officer or of their own uh, uh, environment. Okay, but there is still one separate organization dealing dealing with the independence of the whole risk framework. And do you feel that structure works? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think there is a, a one organization fits all. Uh, mm-hmm. And it depends quite a lot on your context, on the moment you are in terms of uh, digital transformation, in terms of, uh, I don't know, uh, business power in a certain point in, in time, whether you are investing, whether you are uh, restructuring. So it depends quite a lot. For my organization, I think it's a good scheme and it's reasonably working. We have a head of business assurance and uh, she has a responsibility for the overall risk of the company. So you have to bear in mind the fact that, you know, there is cyber risk, but then also we've got business risk. We've got um, risks Mm. within the commercial side of things. We've got risks within commissioning for some of the documentaries and the dramas. So, um, So she looks after that overall risk and we work very, very closely together. We have to. Um, but then it's, it's some of the risk registers are broken down. And so we, we deal with, with, we work closely with all of them to try and ensure that there's some consistency and that we're, we're mitigating those risks and to see where there's overlaps. We have recognized that it needs to be improved. And that's something that we're actually working on at the moment. And we're trying to sort of review the current framework that we have in place to try and simplify it. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be very, very difficult to, to, find the correct person to own a particular risk. Sometimes we have people yeah. within the business that are, are very keen to own a risk because they might see it as an opportunity just to get things over the line as opposed to resolving the, you know, the, the problems that are there. Um, but it, it, it's critical from, from an information security perspective that we have a good understanding of how the execs feel and what their risk appetite is. Um, and yeah. so we, yeah, so we, it's a, it's a, a frequent conversation that we have. And Nico, from your perspective, do you find yourselves dealing with the risk team a lot? So it depends on the project, and that's the interesting piece, you know. And you know, to go back to the uh, to the earlier question, you know, I don't think the CRO or the chief risk officer is the next step for a CISO, right? The CISO is a real top level role. I think they're complementary, as Alejandro was saying, and Brian as well, or even you know, Keith who has the dual roles, you know, you know, at the same time, and. I think, you know, from, from a vendor point of view, going back to what I said earlier, you know, the CISO is still the person buying more the information security side of the product and solution set. The CRO is more the, the one you mostly talk to when you talk about insider threats, data protection, information protection, and this, those type of things. So you still end up with two buying centers because quite often chief risk officer is closer to legal. You know, also has safety, has, you know, all the things like, you know, Brian was saying, right? So they look at, at it from a completely different, like e-discovery, forensics might be sitting there to have also this, you know, separation of duty between the CISO and the IT security team from that group. So it really depends on the organization, honestly, you know, and most of the times it depends on the vertical the organizations operating in. Because some of them have the chief squeeze officer because of, you know, regulatory compliance means and requests. You know, and, um, you know, and some organizations don't have a chief risk officer where basically just risk is managed, you know, by, uh, by the CISO or by, you know, other teams, even HR, you know, managing company risk on, on the people side. So it is very diverse, honestly, but most of the times it's depending on the size of the organization and the vertical the organization operates in. 
in our area, when you, if you were to look at the overall risk register without going into too much detail, there's, there's probably a section in there that says we might have a cyber breach or we might have a, a data breach, but it doesn't go into any more detail than that. When it's, when it's taken to the exec board to be discussed, they kind of understand there might be something with regards to IT or cyber that causes us discomfort or something that needs to be resolved. I manage and maintain the, the information security risk register that goes into an awful lot more detail about whether or not we allow USB sticks to be to be used. But I can't ever mm. see myself having that sort of a conversation with the CEO about what should we do about the USB sticks. But they are going to be very interested about, you know, is our data safe and secure and are we taking the correct measures to ensure that the viewer data is, is protected? And that would be the same across the other areas of the business, you know, so we might have a massive advertising downturn due to, to COVID or, or something that the business would be interested in, but they aren't necessarily going to want to know the detail. And I think you're right, Nico, in that the CRO, it, it's complementary. I mean, r risk is part of my job, but it is not all of my job. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it to be. And I think there would be a conflict of interest if that's if that's all I was ever doing and therefore I was able to to accept the risk or not accept the risk bearing in mind where I sit within the corporation it I feel it has to be somebody else and, and they have to be disassociated from you so that there can't be that conflict of interest and that they can be um uh you know be 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 apart from it and such Keith I'm assuming that chief risk officer isn't one of your hats I'm a certified cyber risk officer so um I think Nico has made a very valid point, and I think Brian touched on it as well. It's the size of the organization. Our head of facilities would be have a risk uh, register specific to his role. Um, so I suppose if we, I don't know, the CIA triad of uh, confidentiality, integrity and, and access is that's what I would hone in on, on, on the risk register. And it would be internal, external. So something in the current environment, uh, the supply chain would have sent the, the, the risk register off the scale for a while as we readjusted our, our supply chain in technology and with our, some of our suppliers as they, as they changed how they supplied us and how they uh, even invoiced us because our, some of our accounts team went off site and how the, how the information was, was sent around. Um, so I, I suppose the size of an organization has an implication on it and, and how the organization or what the organization is, as, as Alejandro has, has touched on. As I said, you know, risk is only part of my job. It's, I don't do it 100 percent of the time. So how often would I be twiddling my thumbs if that's all I was doing? But I suppose I'm only thinking about the security yeah, risk as opposed to the overall risk, which is a much bigger piece of work. On the risk register, we would we would allow a, a developer in remotely now, and how we would give them connectivity would be put onto the risk register yeah. as part of the risk register. Yeah. You know, so we, we would have that type of combinations or a supplier that would be doing development for us um, and how they would connect in, and we would give them a, a scoring accordingly. So that's their risk register. So yeah. it's a cyber risk register, I suppose, yeah. or a security yeah. risk register. Uh, and a question for you, um, Alejandro. Um, in terms of cyber risk, um, in this sort of new normal that we're all operating in, how do you see the cyber risks changing or how have they changed? We are not seeing new challenges, new risks. Yeah. It's actually, and that's our humble understanding of it, and the new normality is, uh, is uh, just uh, about the same sort of risks. What is changing is uh, possibly... Um, their size or their impact. Uh, we might have people 
remotely working in the past. We might have people remotely accessing, even privileged access with the new, new security controls in place, accessing from partners, providers, or whatever. But now it's uh, happening massively. So uh, it's, it's not a different risk, but it has a different uh, prevalence and a different uh, uh, potential impact. We, we are reshaping something that possibly in the past was just an anecdote, uh, people working from home, uh, perhaps, I don't know, 10, 15% maximum. Now, now it became 99.9% uh, .9 of, of, of the people working around, around the world. So uh, it become something uh, very, very different. Even some areas, I don't know, I may, I may just refer to call centers. You, you might think about call centers, that made made a huge change actually uh, from from the past to the to the new normality now now we we need to 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 work with people uh, working more uh, sparsely so uh, we need to route uh, uh, customer calls uh, to to new devices or whatever so we need to put new controls in place but in general i think we are not having new risks even though they have there has been a hype around uh, Lots of new attacks during the quarantine uh, we had, mm -hmm. uh, and actually we we didn't we didn't see that. And does that uh, gel with your experience as well, Nico? We had a, quite a few large organizations who do uh, you know outsourcing like BPO and managing call desks. You know, seeing this new type of risk where you know when people were physically in the office, you know they couldn't take pictures of their screens and steal high value customer data. Right now, they are worried, like, how do I deal with that at home when, the, when there's no kind of physical surveillance anymore in the environment? So that was a new risk, you know, or an existing risk that has, you know, extrapolated. So this came up a lot. The other one that we saw a lot for especially organizations that didn't have a lot of work from home or remote workers or, you know, workforce that's traveling, you know, handing out laptops without any data protection and when, without any endpoint protection on it. So they lost kind of control of Hey, you know, is the person saving files locally to a USB drive? Are they pre printing confidential documents to the local printer? So you know, a lot of people had a very well-established DLP data protection program, but they've kind of failed to expand it very quickly to this new border, which is, you know, the people at home. And uh, I would say the last one, again, for organizations that were not really cloud savvy, you know, they moved to SaaS. You know, a lot of them overnight, you know, sometimes using company credit card, you know, activated SaaS applications and moved you know, company data that was in core applications internally into the cloud. But they never trained the employees of, you know, how, you know, how do they deal with that data? You know, don't move data between, you know, personal OneDrive to company OneDrive. Sometimes they fail to also to implement, you know, best practices around this because a lot of those big players enable you to do it. So, you know, what I kind of, you know, agree and disagree with that I handle, you know, it really depends on the organization. I've seen really good stuff where it didn't change much for the organizations because they were already prepared. And those are the ones that are still playing catch up, and they're going to play catch up probably for another six nine months. I fully agree with what you said, Nico. Actually, uh, what what we saw as a definitely change uh, is that uh, uh, digital transformation for many sm small or medium organization, mostly that would have taken place in four years uh, time, uh, it might have happened uh, already in four months time. So that's stressing organization, and that definitely is a change which is impacting. But overall, the the, the underlying risk uh, might might be the same, but it depends on how you you were already uh, progressing on the digital transformation. Might might be 
those existing change impacting you more because they, they, they come into, into your, your, your particular context. So we're nearly at the, at the end of our allocated time, but I, I had a question for you all to answer before we, we uh, stop recording. Um, and it's just, I guess, one answer from each of you, please. Um, what is the single biggest impact um, that the new normal has had on your role as CISO? Brian, let's start with you. People are attending meetings on time more. Um, so, you know, back in, uh, back in the office, they're getting lost. Sorry, I'm late. Take some time to get from one meeting room to another. Um, and the end result is actually, I think I'm getting more done. Um, I'm not spending four hours commuting every single day. Um, so I'm getting up in the morning, getting my son off to school and I'm just cracking on and then I can work through. Um, you're not as interrupted as you usually are. So you're, you're able to really get your head down and, and think clearly without disruption. I'm terrible in the office. My ears go off like radars and I overhear conversations. I'm like, hang on a minute, what are you doing? What did you say? Um, whereas at home, you can just focus on the task at hand. I, I found the organization to collaborate a lot more. While a lot of the stuff that we needed to do was technically based to uh, uh, react to what's happened, we needed the users to collaborate with us, and they did. And there's a lot more sense of team within the organization. You know, I think you know what, what Brian said is probably spot on, but I'm, I'm going to make it like a counterpoint. You know, I, I think you know, some of those conversations that used to happen you know, in the meeting rooms or in between meetings, we, we're kind of missing them, right? So this kind of social side of it, even if you try to make up for it on Zoom. And the other thing I've seen, you know, from many projects is a lot of things that have been, that were already in flight, the execution was as good or better, but starting new things where you need to align a lot of teams, you know, you need many Zoom sessions because it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't stay. You know, you leave a meeting, it's like everybody got it. And then you're like, hang on, you know, half of them didn't get what we wanted. So you do it over and over again. So I think, you know, doing like, Sometimes I seem to think that, you know, a two-hour workshop needs like four, four or five Zoom sessions just to repeat the message and make sure it gets engraved. I just came last and I only can, can agree with the, the point around punctuality, uh, full spot on. The thing about the, the loss of, the loss of uh, serendipity, Nico mentioned, it's uh, uh, more difficult really to, to find things you were not looking for. And that's uh, definitely a, a, a problem you you are much more effective in doing what you already have uh, uh, running but it's much more difficult especially uh, for for everyone who is uh, selling something it's much more difficult really to to find the right conversation in the in the right moment but the, the very very last point i would like to make is around awareness uh, people in the organizations now realize more tangibly that we are fragile as an organization, we've got that many cracks that may be exploited from a cybersecurity sense, and people are, are much more aware. The number of uh, phishing attempts reported has, has increased quite a lot, and I have to say that people are more conscious on cybersecurity uh, risks now that they were just six months ago. Okay, well, thank you very much to everybody who's taken part. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. 